0: Travis so we're in different time zones now getting up early sun sun is rising um had an interesting question that's going to lead into a good conversation today of why do we think that there are so many hard throwers in the game today and I have several reasons that that I can think of and I I know you're going to have a lot on this topic as well but the first thing that I, that I think about is just the amount of special, specialization that we have in the game today. The amount of players that when you and I grew up, we were three sport athletes. And I think there's a, a bit of keeping up with the, with the Joneses now, of parents and, and players, both with very accessible information of what people are doing all around the country that people think, well, if I wanna get my end goal, I can't play multiple sports or I'm overscheduled. I don't have the time to do so. And anybody that's ever heard me talk on this knows that, um, that I'm a huge advocate of playing as many sports at a young age as possible until like you have interest elsewhere or kind of your enjoyment or your ability to play a certain thing just supersedes your, your other interests. But uh, going into what, what I saw this year, at, even at like instructional league and this is a ball guys at the best double a I, the first day of camp i had guys training off of 97 98 miles an hour and You kind of look at the p- players uh expression or reaction to that like jesus like you know welcome <laughs> we're, we're, we're training against something really really hard but then the first games we play we are facing the Giants and they have an in instructs, they have more guys throwing 98 to 100 on their instructs team than their major league team, which is amazing to me. Um, so, the question, long story long, from this college coach is why do you think there is so much velocity in the game today? Where before, when I played college at the Division I level, I said the game was played at 85 to 89, uh, sometimes midweek, even. 83 to 85 and then if you had guys over 90 you're like oh man gotta strap it on today it's gonna be a battle this guy's throwing 90 now i don't know that there's division one arms from the right side that throw under 90 i don't know i i'm guessing guys even at a mid-major or above 90 we certainly see it at the high school level and even ourselves at elite i remember our first 16 u team had eight guys chucking 90 at 16 u we were i was bringing guys out of the pen in relief throwing 90 miles an hour like there, there were division one schools that weren't doing that at that time right um so i have three answers and i know you're gonna have a lot to say about this travis yeah. number one i feel like there is way more specialization in sport today i think the day of the three sport athlete is extremely rare and, and again you and i grew up in different circumstances travis than of, part of the population, at least the population we deal with in Chicago, because we were in small towns. And if you were a good athlete in a small town, you probably played everything. I don't consider myself a good basketball player, but I played basketball pretty much my whole athletic career. Um, so I didn't really lift weights till I got to college. And it probably held me back from being recruited by some bigger schools, albeit there wasn't wasn't a showcase circuit, not many people came to Robson, Illinois. But you know, at six two one sixty five, as I was in high school, was way different than what I was as a college sophomore, or junior at six two two oh five, right? So I think that's one of them. Um, before I get into my two and three, I, I just want to hear what 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 you think on the specialization. Maybe why we have so much special specialization in sport today, and then I'll, I'll continue with why else I think there's way more velocity
1: at a younger age and a greater pool of velocity throwers out there um yeah i mean i would i would say starting with you know specialization you know when when we were growing up uh if you just said hey this guy's a pitcher only i'm i would be like what does that even mean
0: that's true yeah i didn't even think about that one thank we have po's like we're talking in by the way the, the three sport athlete anybody that's ever heard me talk i am a complete advocate for playing as many sports as possible as young as possible try everything there's carryover and crossover we'll probably talk about about that on the, on the podcast but we've had conversations in our travel program sometimes with parents starting at 12 and they're talking like the word po comes up or the the acronym and i'm like man like this is where we're at right now it's that's an incredible
1: yeah i think you know it's, it's one of those things like i growing up like you just pitchers played positions position players pitched like everybody did everything and You know, maybe it was more back then because, you know, you had people playing more sports. You know, I I grew up, I grew up majority of majority of my youth as a three sport athlete, and then in high school became a two sport athlete. Um, But I think you know specialization along that lines is that I think it all starts from information, and I think a lot of that information comes from. Social media. Um, social media being your showcase kind of environment, your your ranking. We rag on social media a lot. Well, it seems- but it's not – I mean, that's not just the social media. You're seeing it on social media. The, the showcase and the, the ranking environment is that, you know, these kids all know how hard all their peers are throwing. Like, I had no idea – when I was growing up, like, you either – could throw and get a guy out or you couldn't you know what yeah that's was, a good point if i was the behind the it makes it accessible you can see what everybody in the entire country or world is, is so so kids so so kids are gonna obsess about it you're, you're gonna obsess about it when you're seeing when you're seeing you can jump on a you know a pbr pg site whatever ranking site at this point you could jump on there and say okay i'm i'm a 2020 2024 right so that's a freshman yeah so 2024 as a freshman you could jump on there and be like all right what are the 20, what are the best 2024s in the country right now throwing and you're going to see you're going to see multiple 2024s throwing 90 plus. You're going to see some 2024s throwing 94 and you're going to be looking at yourself going like how do i if i want to play baseball for a long time how do i compete with that? And i think what you're getting then is you're getting some athletes that are saying i need to ditch like, I don't, really, I don't really see myself as a football player a long time or, I don't, or as long term or a basketball player in college, but I really want to play baseball in college. And you're looking at those numbers and you're saying at, at 15, I'm throwing 74 and there's dudes out there at 15 throwing 94. Like, you feel like you're behind and you need to put all of your eggs into that basket not realizing that man, like at at 15, like you're not even anywhere near physically or mentally mature enough, you know, to, to probably make some of those decisions on your own, but you see the numbers and it's overwhelming. Like it's overwhelming to probably see there's guys that throw 20 miles an hour faster than you that are the same age as you. And your aspiration is ultimately to make, you know, a college team or a pro team. And, you know, you're looking at the deficit you have, and you're going to sit and try to chase that deficit. So I think information plays a big part of that. You know, like I said, like when we were in high school, if a kid was throwing whatever, I don't know, we didn't have radar guns. So I don't know. Like there wasn't like, we had a radar gun at a school. There wasn't pocket radars to walk around with. There wasn't any of that stuff. So if a guy was throwing what we would assume to be like low, low eighties, like on our team, and he was just getting people out, like nobody was going to question it. Like, he just he got people out. He threw hard enough to get the ball by some guys, and he mixed it up well enough, and he pitched well. And I think, like I said, I think a lot of that's changed because of the information that's out there. Kids feeling like they have to commit to one thing because of the information that's that's out there.
0: I don't disagree with you there on the, on the kid part, but I do feel like the parent plays a bigger role in this. I think there's a definite – in every corner of society a parent is going to want to keep up with the joneses of what what is my child's peer group doing and I don't you haven't dealt with this as much as i did during the the travel days when i was running that that side of our uh, business but parent anxiety amongst a aspiring athlete is real and it's really high um and anybody that's dealt with parents even if you're a college coach like you're probably dealing with parents way more today than you ever have before. The, that anxiety is real. It's like, what, what am I going to do to best set my kid up? And there's a scheduling piece of this too. It's, it's, it's really hard to play multiple sports now because of the time commitment that we make our athletes do. Like if you're playing a, a travel season in the summer, um, like you're not doing seven on seven football probably. Like for me, it, you know, I played American Legion ball, which is about as, I guess, a predecessor to uh, travel baseball or a precursor, sorry. Um, but we played almost, I would say four or five days a week. It was a pretty demanding schedule, Doubleheaders on Saturday and Sunday. So I wasn't lifting weights with my football teammates in a, in a football town growing up. Cause I was, I was like, I was playing baseball. Like you're overscheduled. And that definitely happens today. Like. How many times have we had kids in winter practice saying, you know, I'm running a hockey, I'm running a basketball. They're doing multiple things in the day and God love them. I'm, I'm glad they're still trying to, to do those multiple sports, but from a parent's perspective, like I just can't do it. Right. Or we're Johnny, you got to pick one or it's expensive. <laughs> like if you're playing hockey and baseball, both things, like you're showing out some dough. Um, I think that, that plays a large piece of it too. Like the parent anxiety of trying to get these kids in the best position eventually forces them to have to make an earlier decision than what we had to make and I, again I, I i am probably you know i run i obviously i run a big facility it's uh, i'm part of the problem um, but i'm also speaking real to parents in in probably at the detriment of what could be our bottom line and saying it's okay like you can relax right now it's, that you playing multiple sports is going to carry over and until the decision making point of this, and this is probably going into number two for me is weight training. Like weight training is absolutely necessary in any sport you're going to do. And I say it over and over again, and it's worth repeating for every hour you spend on your skill. If you're coming into our facility and spending an hour on your skill, you better be spending an hour on your body as well. Those things need to go hand in hand. And I think the accessibility of weight training Probably earlier weight training for athletes because it's just a necessity to compete in your sport because other kids are doing it um, has led to a higher population of hard throwers. Like just, kids are just way more physical at 15 and 16 than they were 15 years ago. And as a byproduct, they're going to hit the ball harder and they're going to throw the ball harder. And weight training has Sped up um, for whatever reason, advances in weight training over the last five years, even the ability to combine mobility work, stability work, and strength. Like, you're not seeing kids just going in and doing core lifts of deadlift, bench press, and you know, whatever else. Like, it's really specialized and it's really good. There's, and that's probably t- due to social media too, Travis. Like, you can look around, like, oh my god, I really like that. And strength and conditioning coaches are, are pretty good, way better in their industry than what we are right. in baseball sharing things and in uh,
1: no you're speeding
0: up progress of their industry
1: yeah i mean you're right there like that's actually like when you first again <laughs> i don't know if I say this again because like literally like we get on the call and like hey what do you want to talk about we're Like, hey, i had a question asked to me let's talk about this today so as you started bringing up your first topic i started just writing down some notes uh and one of the things i put was information and part of that information was directed at not just like not just weight training, but part of it was weight training and the information that's out there. You know, when, when, I mean, we played, we played multiple sports. So when I lifted in the weight room, a lot of times I lifted like a football player because I played football and on the baseball side, when we did baseball lifting, it was always like, oh, well, baseball players don't need to be big and bulky and we're not going to do these big lifts and we're going to do you know, lighter weights, and we're going to do a few more reps, we're just trying to keep our bodies strong enough to play this sport, but not really, like, whatever. But I never stopped lifting like a football player because – Me too. I
0: I got thrown out of my weight room in college. My coach told me I was going to be suspended. First series of the year, we're going to Arkansas. Team has to go in and lift. I had to just sit there, and they said, Stone, if I see you lift one weight, then you're suspended for the Arkansas trip. Because my traps were up to my ears, and I threw a ball like this. I
1: threw a ball, like, like, like I couldn't even get my arm up. Like we weren't lifting correctly, right? Well, but, but you know, I think a big part of it too now is that, you know, the, the paradigm has shifted a little bit where, you know, we're wanting stronger baseball players, where baseball players are lifting a little bit more like football players, meaning that they are doing some of the bigger lifts, but they're doing a lot of the ancillary lifts around those big lifts so that they can manage range of motion, they can manage that stability, they can manage the other things. And I think, you know, now like you could jump online and like like you said, the strength training community has done such a great job of, of being able to put information out there and supporting each other. Honestly, like, you know, you know, I'm a big part of following the, the strength and conditioning community on social media. And you see very little pushback from one another to each other that they are very like supportive in the way that people put out information and how they you know take certain things and find you know better ways to make even some of the way that they train the strength and conditioning more specific to a sport like they do a really good job of it in their community and the great part is like for kids and for parents whoever's at home and is wanting to look into some of that information like yeah you're gonna have to sit and find Some, you know, find some people on social media that, you know, you deem trustworthy, you know, as it were. But if you dig a little bit and you find some of the people that are in the community pretty deep in that strength conditioning community, they're putting out a lot of great information and it's essentially free, you know. And if you need more in depth, and a lot of these guys do individual plans where you can get a hold of them and say, hey, listen, like, I would love to get my kid in for you know, a testing and a strength testing and, you know, be able to set up an individualized, you know, plan for my kid that does just now this sport. And so the advantage to these kids now is that there is more information out there for them if they want it. And there's more information for the parents. And I want to touch on real quick, what you said before you kind of jump into what, you know, you're, you're going to say is like your number two, unless information was, um, but from the parent side, it's, it's completely, it's completely true. You know, I, I mean, my son's, I mean, I can, you can say the same for your daughter. Um, uh, you know, my son, like I've got my son working out, like we do, we do box jumps. We do, you know, we've, we've advanced beyond a little bit of body weight stuff to, you know, we're doing, you know, light loaded, um, deadlifts basically just with with kettlebells and stuff like that and bands and band resistance with with squats and stuff and you know he's 10 and it's not like i'm trying to prepare him for a life of you know being a professional athlete you know i don't know whether that's even what my son wants to do with his life but it's like hey he sees me working out and he wants to work out and you know if he decides that he wants to go that route in life later on where he wants to compete you know, for a college scholarship or to play professionally somewhere or do something like that in any sport. I wanted to, I wanted to be in a physical place where he's not fighting to catch back up if he decides later on that he wants to do something. So, I mean, I, I wasn't doing something like that. Now we were running around and we were playing sports and I was jumping off of things, you know, like, wasn't like specifically training by doing like a box jump or by, you know, working a squat pattern or anything like that. But you know, jumping out of trees and stuff like that and landing on the ground and you're landing in a squat pattern essentially to be able to stabilize yourself coming down. Like you don't think about that stuff, but, you know, having him do stuff like that because, you know, his generation is doing a little less of that on their own. Um, I think it's only beneficial to him as a as a as as an athlete or even as a human being later on that, you know, is, is going to want his body to be able to carry him through carry him through his life, you know, being able to stay mobile um through the longer part of his life by having been a good mover for the majority of his life.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Be a good mover just to be healthy, right? That's right.
1: Like, like now, interested like, in
0: sport, like you just I I want to set a good precedent for my child seeing me work out. And alongside they probably are going to have interest and in at least curiosity in it. Yeah, you know, like feed off that curiosity for sure. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that.
1: But in the same thing, right? Like I'm, you're right, because like I'm gonna look at my kid, and I'm gonna be like, all right, how does my kid stack up academically compared to other kids his age? How does he stack up? You know, he my son plays two sports, and like I'll, I sit up and look at, okay, how how fast is my son compared to these other kids? How how much movement quality does he have? How much body control does he have compared to these kids? How sports skill specific is my kid compared to these kids? i'm not i'm not in the mindset like i'm panicking if my kid's not there only because i know the i I know kind of the process that happens in the first place and two you know until my son comes and says dad this is really really what i want to make happen like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna push him into i'm not gonna push him into or panic yeah like i well but you, you because we see it it's not like i'm just smarter about the I've just I've seen so much of it you've seen so much of you know kids coming in you could tell that they feel the pressure sometimes from their parents because I'm sure the parents aren't trying to put pressure on them but the parents talk to them about these things like hey man like we got to get some schools interested in you and I'm talking obviously more high school kids at this point but we got to get these you got to get these schools interested in you we got to make sure that you're going to you know if you're if you're an eighth grader we got to make sure that you're ready for this for this high school tryout you know, do you feel like you're ready? Do you feel like you're ready for this tryout? Do you think we should get some more swings in? And yeah, check think-
0: mark that for a future show, too, of like yeah.
1: the eighth grade,
0: seventh grade showcase or whatever. Like, my God. Like, yeah, dude, that, yeah that's, that's a future show. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that.
1: So, what's your, what's your number two?
0: <clears throat> my number two was better oh, information, more specialized weight okay. training. So i get into my number three, and this is a pretty easy one. And we've mentioned this on previous shows is velo training does work. It does work, um, which has led to us. It doesn't make better pitchers, but it has led to a much bigger pool of pitchers that throw harder. And because of that larger pool, you're going to have a, just by Darwinism itself, you're going to have some players in that pool that also can pitch. Um, but at the younger levels, and even at the low levels of pro ball, and I would say college too. You can, you've said this uh, many times, and I'm going to use your uh, phrase here, you can out-athlete the game. Like, throwing harder gives you bigger margin for error in most cases. Like, if I, I can throw the ball right down the middle, but if I can throw it by a guy, then I can get away with it. And that exists in, in pro ball. Like, um, I mean, shit, they even having to – us in the in the playoffs last year, like Sixto Sanchez comes out of the minor leagues in the playoffs, just throwing fastballs ninety eight and throwing to by guys and getting away with it, right? So it velo does play. Um, I'll talk about the injury piece of that a little bit later, but the the velo programs I think have certainly increased the amount of kids, at especially at a younger age, and a greater pool of of guys that wouldn't make it in college, get passed up, or even wouldn't. Survive in Pro ball that all of a sudden make velocity jumps. Like look at that that kid from the Giants that was working out in our facility this this offseason during COVID. Yep. I think he retired voluntarily from baseball. I think he was like from what I hear, 80, 89 to 91. And he's chucking 96, 97. And I'm like texting their farm director and their their GM. I said, I don't know what your guys' plans are with this guy, but it's like he's throwing against big leaguers right now and like throwing the ball by them. It's built in, like a fastball slider combination. And all he did was just a weighted ball program over COVID and all of a sudden like he's a different guy. Right. So that story probably exists in a, in a lot of areas across the country.
1: No, for sure. I mean, you know, obviously like even in myself included running a velocity program um, in our facility, you know, and it's funny. Cause like when people think about, you know, velocity programs too. I think, you know, people that haven't done them or people that are like sitting on the outside being like, you know, all you guys care about is velocity and you know, why are you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, man, I would love for people to come in and watch my velocity program. It's probably a lot less of what they probably think it is than what it actually is. I mean, we do week one, we do assessments. Like, you know, obviously this is what we're going to do first. We do assessments. You know, I write up a program for every one of these kids. They all have an individual program of what they need to do in their movement prep uh, when they're in class. Um, we spend the first 15 minutes of class talking about just different segments and uh, responsibilities of movement. So we'll sit and talk about, you know, what the legs and the pelvis and the hip, what their kind of responsibility is in a throw. Um Or, you know, again, whether we're talking about the torso, if we're talking about, you know, arm patterning or whatever we're talking about, we just, we'll sit and just talk and we'll watch some videos of of professional athletes moving. And I'll show them how they all do something similar in theory, but move slightly different based on who they are. And then we sit and explore and experiment how they can fit into their movement pattern based off of how their body sets up in creating a, a similar theoretical idea Then it goes right into like dynamic movement of we all do group dynamic movement. So we basically just make sure that the mobile joints are staying mobile. Then we go into what I call group, uh, group prep. So group prep might be anything from like box jumps to, you know, rotary stability work to kettlebell swings, depending on what we're doing to RDLs to whatever it is, as our group prep. Then they all go to their sheet and they all go through their individual prep on their own so whether that's you know pelvic tilt whether that's disassociation whether that's their hinges uh whatever it ends up being that's on their individual program then they go out and throw and you know for these guys because it's a shorter session because we do six weeks like we don't do uh ball work in that class Because anytime you're going to throw a weighted ball, and this is again, you know, probably a whole show at some point to just talk about weighted balls. And I get that question probably more than anything else. Like, what do you think about weighted balls? But, you know, long story short on that for date for today is I believe there's a, I believe there's absolutely value in throwing a weighted ball if your body's ready to throw a weighted ball. So it's like anything else. Like if I'm going to, if I've never squatted before, I'm not going to go max, I'm not going to go max out a squat day one, having never squatted before. I'm going to work my way to that point by making sure that a, my movement patterns good in that squat. And then I'm going to just slowly keep loading the squat um, to get there. And the same thing with weighted balls. I'm not going to just start taking an overweighted or an underweighted ball and just starting chucking it. If my shoulder and my body's not prepared to move that weight, I'm just, I'm putting myself at a bigger risk than not. But if you do like an on-ramping, progression where you're getting your body ready to withstand the difference in what you're doing i think you know your your likelihood of getting hurt goes down exceedingly and there's always a like there's always a chance of injury no matter what you do and that's just there's a there's a certain risk that you take period in anything you do um but i definitely think that that's true and then you know going back to your point you know we've got a guy right now that plays for us um you know, I'm going to give him a little shout out on the show ben plumley who came in the other day and he topped out at 94 you know and he's probably sitting 91 um and the kid doesn't have he's a senior doesn't have a a place yet and he's looking for obviously a, something that fits academically and athletically for him but you know he's yeah, how still about
0: but, taking he's like a 32 ACT
1: correct right right he is and and you know that doesn't mean that he's not having a little bit of ability to be choosy, but he also doesn't have all the ability to be choosy and he knows that too. And like you sit there and look at it like, dude, like you got a guy topping 94 that's still looking for a home that's a senior in college or senior in high school. And it's That's amazing to me. It's the it's the end it's the end of March right now. Yeah. Here's now here's the thing. The the point I wanted to go with this is that it's scary to watch that, not because he's not committed is because this kid works his butt off so much that he is such a, like turning into such a physical athlete that even when he pitches, he is not, he is not nearly efficient as he needs to be yet. So what's going to, what's going to end up happening is this kid's going to throw harder as he becomes more efficient. He is simply again, like he is right now out physically 94 because he's a little disconnected in his throw and he knows that and he's working through stuff, but, like think about that. Like that's scary. Like this this kid could easily be turned around in 2 months from now and be sitting 94 touching 96. And I say that easily like wow, like it's that easy to do, but like there's certain disconnections in a throw that are I mean, I mean there's a little bit of very detrimental to velocity. A feel that goes into that. Like one he's
0: obviously very lucky that he has a coach like you that can iron out those things. I I think that probably goes looked over with a a lot of pitching coaches, but there's also some responsibility with the player to have um, the proprioception kinesthetic awareness to, to make those changes, because and this will segue into my next point. A lot of those kids that are disconnected and throw really hard, it just goes unchanged, whether they don't have the ability to make the adjustment themselves because of the lack of kinesthetic awareness, or it's not being instructed to them. And, with those inefficiencies it's like a you're hoping it doesn't happen but you're like oh boy this you know with a higher workload this kid could get hurt right and you could get hurt doing anything but my next point is is the plague of ucl injuries a result from overuse which in my mind overuse definitely exists in the world i'm not saying it doesn't but in my mind it's kids still in puberty that throw really, really hard and are still growing like they're like my Toyota Prius when I had one didn't need a whole lot of maintenance. Right. But if a race car needs maintenance every friggin' 15 laps and they have a whole crew of guys that are going to give it that maintenance. um, When you have a higher performance athlete, there is just a greater risk due to the strain on the body in an already inefficient human movement an overhand throw. Right. It, the body isn't meant to work that way in general. But I think back to those first three travel teams that we had 2015, 16, and 17, we had a, a throwing coach like yourself. We didn't have to overuse guys because we just had so much depth, but a ton of those guys got hurt. But we also had a ton of guys at 16 that were throwing over 90. Like this, uh, I remember looking at Trent Johnson, who another one of those like high work ethic, high character, it's in a six year at Tulane throwing really well throwing 94. But I remember looking at him at 15 where he was already 88 to 91 and looking at him it's like, my God, this kid has a face of a 12 year old. Like he isn't even close to physically maturing. Um, and how many of those kids had low back pain all the time too, because of just the torque they were putting on this high velocity torquing action. Like the, the body was not ready for the performance level that these players had and that's a that's a slippery slope too for a coach because you want to you want to push athletes to you know, like you've got more in you right like you're still growing you're still getting more physical but at the same time looking back would i have done things differently i don't i don't know like maybe, maybe that's our responsibility this is just a theor- theoretical question maybe that's our responsibility of go into a parent and be like, you know, I know you can do things other athletes can't do, but we're really going to minimize your workload because of just the risk involved. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a question we should be asking more. We don't, I mean, we don't have many of those guys that are 15 to 17 right now that are or 15 year olds that are throwing over 90, but at one time we did. And
1: well, I've had those, learned a lot from that too. I mean, I've, I've had those conversations with parents. You know, we, we had another guy, you know, a couple of years after that first crew that real young was throwing hard and Caleb Larson. And I went to his parents and I said, I don't know if him continuing to seek velocity is the best idea right now. Like he needs to become more physical, you know, and I know that's a weird thing for, it's probably a weird thing for a coach to say is like, let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. Um, as opposed to pushing this velocity barrier, because again, like you're you're taking a growing body that's you know even in, in all regards at that point it, it, for a lot of those kids like their their bones are just finishing calcifying, you know, in that 13 to 15 year old age group, and you know you're you're, you're putting a lot of pressure on a lot of things in the body that the body is not prepared to do. And the same thing goes for, the same thing goes for when, you know, if I'm, if I'm personally taking an athlete and we're making an adjustment in any way, let's say we're, let's just keep it simple. Let's say, that, let's say that we're changing an arm pattern. Like there's a timing issue in the arm. The arm's not in a good place to be able to take the turn. We're just, Hey, we need to, we need to re out here a little bit like when you're creating a new pattern on something that's moving really fast, it's important to slow everything back down. I mean like slowing down like the intent that we're trying to throw the ball right away, because now you're trying to, if you're trying to go the same speed on a movement that hasn't had time to take place or for the body to be able to now accommodate or be ready to move fast in that position Again, you're going through a phase where even though the player might be moving better, they're more likely to possibly get hurt because the body in the new pattern or in the new position hasn't had time to strengthen in or control that, that movement yet. So being able to slow guys down there too. And to go back to your original, yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the, the number one cause of injury is fatigue. I don't think that, I don't think that there's much, I don't think there's much to debate there. And I think realistically, for people that are listening to that at home, you can think about this in different ways, right? Like if you have poor mechanics, let's say, as people call it, or if you're inefficient, it will take less throws for you to fatigue because you are going to be recruiting muscle, unnecessary muscle, because of lack of direction or timing or whatever it is. And you're going to be recruiting more per throw. So you're going to fatigue more rapidly in a session. There is, there is very little to any evidence that there is one-time traumatic throwing injuries. Like people are going to feel the one moment when maybe the UCL goes or something happens, but it's not that throw. It's not like you threw one time and the arm just like gave out. Like one-time traumatic would be like, like you take a line drive back off your elbow. That's like a one-time I mean, traumatic. Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a one-time traumatic injury. Like throwing injuries are fatigue. So whether that's, whether fatigue means the amount of throws in one session. So if I'm throwing a lot of throws in one session and my body goes, yo, like we're just, we can't, we can't control this anymore. Something's going to be more likely to break down. Or if it's not enough time between throwing sessions where the body hasn't had enough time to recover. So again, this goes back to a lot of it, right? Like we've got guys that are, again, we got guys in our organization. I have these conversations with them and I tell them, I said, you know, I understand what you're pushing for you're pushing for this this scholarship and I realize that you're close, but you going out and trying to throw full speed four to five days this week is a terrible decision. That's not going to lead to what you think it's going to lead to. And I understand from their perspective, like in their mind, they're trying to get to a certain point and they're fighting and doing what they think is right to get to that point, which is like to throw harder, to be a better pitcher. I have to pitch more. I have to throw more. And that's not, that's not the case. You know, like, yes, you get the throw to be better, but you have to make sure you're giving yourself enough time in between and that you're recovering properly so that your body is ready to compete the next time it has to compete. And I think, you know, that plays again, a big part in it is these kids see like this deadline, like there's this boom, there's this cutoff point. And if I'm not, if I'm not at this point, whether it be velocity wise or, pitchability wise or strength wise by this point, then I'm, I'm going to miss the mark. And then they'll spend too many days in the weight room or they'll, Hey, I've been working out. I've been working out two times a day for the, you know, the last six, the last six weeks for five days, a week, six days a week. And I'm like, what do you, what, what are you doing working out twice a day for five days a week for six weeks straight? Like, when is your body going to recover? Like, what do you think you're going to get out of this? Like I get in your mind, like if I'm in the weight room more, I'm going to get stronger, but I'm like, your body's going to break down. Like, you, and again, like as a kid, it seems rational. It does. I mean, if, if I was a kid and you're like, Hey man, like you got to get stronger. My first thought is that, like, well, I need to spend more time in the weight room. My first thought's not going to be like, well, I got to make sure I give myself time to recover from the weight room. It's going to be like, I'm going to go, I'm going to work out four times a day and I'm going to do pushups in between and I'm going to do sprints like in the middle of the day. Like I'm going to just do stuff until I can get there when, you know, that's, that's a lot of times not going to be the case and it's going to lead to more detrimental effects than it will, you know, gains. So
0: what about the days of just doing long toss? What's the, this is a different subject, but what is the difference between long toss and a weighted ball program? Um,
1: So long toss, you know, depending on what kind of program you're using, obviously the most probably prolific or used program is, is the, um, Jagger long toss program. Um, so weighted, weighted balls are essentially going to have a couple different effects, right? Like weighted balls. When I use weighted balls with um, guys during certain movements, a lot of times we're just working on proprioception. So it's just, we're, we're trying to repattern something and the, the brain typically has a harder time. If we give it the same implement, the same weight, the same size ball, it's going to want to do what it's always done. It's been programmed to when it holds this object in this, in this movement. So if I'm standing on a mound with a baseball, my brain is going to want to do the same thing I programmed to do over and over and over again. And if that's not efficient, if it's not efficient, my brain's still going to want to do it. So like if I'll take, if I take a kid and I give him a, a football and I do this quite a bit and I'll say, Hey, listen, let's just, let's warm up with this football for a little bit and I'll videotape them, you know, prior, throwing, uh, a baseball, then I'll videotape them, you know, throwing a football then then prep their, their body up and I'll say, all right, let's, let's get on the mound. But I want you to essentially just go through your pitching delivery, but with this football. And then I want you to go through your pitching delivery again, and we'll go back with the baseball. Um, and it's funny because like you'll sit and look at the differences in how the body sets up and what the brain does to manage the weight and the size of the ball so typically with a football you're going to see a very a very shorter direct arm swing simply because to move a football a the football has got to be positioned right like you're not going to be able to have your arm extended with the ball facing down and feeling like you can go fast into your turn and the ball is going to feel like it's just going to stay there and pop out of your hand simply because of the grip size but also the weight that you're trying to move so like the first thing guys do with the football is they take the football and they beat are more direct and they create a point of leverage where they're being able to support the football in a position where they could turn it and not feel like they're going to lose it. So you end up usually with a more direct arm swing, which is what I then use like weighted balls for in an on-ramping scenario. So I don't, we don't grab weighted balls. Like for me, if I had kids every day or I could monitor their progress or their, their, their process, we would probably do more of a strict weighted ball kind of, you know, workout with them. But because I don't, we use them, we use them more in like a closed off scenario where we're going to do just mo- like simple movements at slower speeds, just feeling and managing how to control the weight of the object without trying to go intensely fast with it. Um, and then, you know, the idea is to build up the stability in the arm, to build up a pattern in the arm, to build up the loading phase of the arm. And then eventually you're getting to the underweight and the underweight's the same thing. You know, you're now taking something that's allowing your arm to move faster. um, But you also have to prepare your body to be able to do that as well. You know, for anybody that's ever just taken their hand and swung their hand, like they're faking, like they're throwing a pitch and they've swung their hand as fast as they can, you're going to notice that there's like typically a little less of amount of throws that you would take until your arm probably feels like it's going to start to fatigue or that there's something in there because your arm's moving at that point so rapidly um, that it's going to fatigue quicker. Um, So long toss is more of a general letting the body kind of feel its way out in a non-threatening at first scenario. So like long toss is going to be typically directed as let's say you're working your way out in increments of feet, you know, you're going to go out and you're going to just take basically the least amount of effort to put a ball on an arc to cover a distance. So let's say I'm throwing at point 120 feet. So at 120 feet as as a grown athlete, it takes a very little effort for me to get a ball to go 120 feet in the air. So it ends up just feeling like just a nice, easy arm swing throw. And then say we're working out to 180, 200, which again, for a grown athlete, isn't that much. It takes slightly more effort than 120, obviously, to get a ball to travel that distance. But again, you're trying to do the least amount. So basically, you're going to work that out to, you're going to work that out to the point where you're getting closer to, you're getting closer to a max effort um, with an arc on the ball yet. And then for me, like, I'll typically go then max effort back on the pull down on the way in, which is now just putting the ball back out flat. So that's typically where I'm going to go faster. So on the way out, it's more like I'm learning how to be efficient and do the least amount of work and stay relaxed um, on the way out and then letting the muscles gear up to know when they need to actually tense up to create stability on the way in when we're flattening the ball out. So weighted ball is typically just a flat program. You're typically not doing weighted balls at, at angles as much. Um, so it's more of a throw specific versus body prep, um, from that standpoint. Um, but both of them have value. Honestly, like I, I did both as a thrower, um, as a thrower, I probably preferred long toss overweighted ball just because it fit me better and probably my mindset and my mentality. But I still had, there were still benefits that I had, like I had to recorrect my arm pattern as a thrower and using a football, which was still overweight. um, And, you know, plyo balls made that easier for me to navigate that process than me trying to manually change it myself. Because the The arm is probably the hardest thing for most athletes to change in a throw because they identify their throw as their arm. They don't identify, most athletes don't identify their throw as their body. So if it's like you're changing something lower half, like guys typically have an easier time changing it because they don't identify their throw as their lower half. They identify their throw as their arm and how their arm moves and what their arm feels like when they throw. So that's kind of the difference between those. And, again, there's benefits for both if you're doing them right. Like I'm not going to go do long toss and just start chucking a ball. Just because I can chuck a ball, you know, 350 yards doesn't mean I'm going to go out and start chucking a ball 350 yards without preparing myself to be able to do that. You know, that might be a six-week process for me to even get to the point where I'm going to try to throw a ball 350 feet, not yards. That would be, be a record. <clears throat> but, again, there's a there's – a pre- there's a prep phase, and I think what the point of this whole thing is. I think what most people do is they skip the prep phase, like they just want the big bang. They just want to take the weighted balls and start chucking them as hard as they can because that's what they think the program is. They just want everybody to take,
0: wants the magic pill, right? That's yes, a, they, they want
1: they to start of the show. They want the end game without everything that leads up to the end game.
0: Yeah, well said. All right, last question to finish up the show. I don't know, and you may correct me here if I'm wrong which I know you will do because you enjoy doing that. Um, I don't know that we have real accurate information on who the first 100-mile-an-hour thrower was. Arguably, it could have been Bob Feller 60 years ago. It might have been Nolan Ryan 35 years ago. Regardless of that answer, and I don't know, again, if we have the correct answer or not, it took, let's say it was Bob Feller, and let's say it took 50 years from the first 100-mile-an-hour thrower to go from 100 miles an hour to the first 105 mile an hour thrower in Jordan Hicks. First one, I think. Chapman. Did Chapman, Chapman throw 105? Okay. Well, six. So let's say it took 50 years for that to happen. That part aside with my, my incorrect facts, the point of that is how many years is it going to go from, let's say Chapman through 105 three years ago? I don't know what that was. How many years is it going to be before we have the first 110 mile an hour thrower? And my guess is it's going to be a lot faster than it was to get from 100
1: to 105. I don't think so, honestly. Like I think there's there's going to be a at some point there's going to be a limit to what a human body can do. Like that. There's oh, going to be an absolute... they,
0: they said Our... Je- nobody was ever going to break Jesse Owens' record. You know now now you can't even make no, the Olympics. I don't, think, I, don't like don't even, I don't.
1: I don't. I don't. I don't... Here's where, I'm, here's where i'm gonna go with this Oh, like, bullshit travis it i i had somebody ask me it's funny that you asked me it's funny that you bring this up because i had literally had one of my students ask me like, two days ago maybe about will somebody ever throw 110 and i said you know it would take a perfect storm of events it's Again, gonna take
0: how much do we don't know though like we don't know what we don't I, know
1: i get that i i get that I'm telling you right I now, don't know a lot. For this, for this to happen, for this to happen, I'm telling you it'll take a perfect storm of events that might become more common later on. But that perfect storm of events is going to be somebody that's got a big range of motion that can manage that range of motion. It's going to take somebody that's probably has longer levers, so probably somebody that's going to be taller. It's going to take somebody that's exceedingly physical. And I think, you know, looking at a guy like Aroldis Chapman, you're taking a guy that's a taller, very physical athlete that by all accounts from just watching him move when he throws has probably a pretty good range of motion and control that range of motion to do what he did. It's going to take something. It's going to take a a perfect storm of of movements, I think, to get to that. I think – we're going to see a lot of guys that throw a hundred. I think we're going to see a lot of guys that throw a hundred. And we already, we already start, we already starting to see that. I just, I actually was on social media last night, just kind of like before I went to bed, just, just perusing it. And I saw some kid, I think he was out on the East coast high school kid. That's was in his, in his bullpen the other, like a week ago or like three, four days ago, like first six pitches were like 101 and he's 17. And you're just sitting there watching that like what the what in the world what in the world wide web could you imagine being a high school dude <laughs> <stepping> in <laughs> step into, doing a box with I a dude, throwing,
0: I, was a high school dude.
1: <laughs> I, I didn't even see 90 like i didn't see one kid throwing 90 in high school and like to see a dude throwing 100 101 in high school now if you're asking me how hard is this guy gonna throw i don't think this guy's gonna throw 110 now I, hopefully I'm wrong. This guy's the greatest thrower in the history of the planet. I'm not, I'm never going to root against the sport getting more difficult. Like I love it. I love that. I love that guys are throwing hard and hitting is going to get hard as hell. And like hitters going to fight their way back. And like, like I like competition, even if sometimes that competition leads to like a really odd game of like just strikeouts and home runs of like, people just got to take their shot at the fence. And like, I don't mind that. Like I like competition. I You know, with all the things they're doing now, like the new, I'm going to segment this because we might talk about this at some point. Because I know producer Dan likes this thought. Is you know, MLB cracking down right now on tracking past spin rates and everything on pitchers, and basically being able to say we're we're going to be able to have a better idea whether people are using foreign substances simply by tracking their spin rates and what their historical spin rates have been versus. What their spin rates are right now and cracking down on foreign substances because they know that foreign substances is, is is giving pitchers a lot more capability than they should have but you know with that with that aside like not having a foreign substance to help you out like i would love it if everybody could spin their breaking ball an extra 500 rpms and it was just harder to hit like i would love for the hitters to have to find a way to battle that back. And I would love the hitters then to find ways to navigate things where pitchers have to find another way to get better. There was a stat and I can't, I can't give you the exact numbers because this was a while ago when a Chapman was first coming up and throwing hard. I had read a stat that, and I can't tell, somebody's got to look this up to know exactly what it was, but when he had thrown a ball over like 103, I think it was 103 plus he had he had not like this might have been like 200 at bats i don't know 200 200 times he'd thrown a ball 103 plus he had never given up a hit on a single pitch he threw over 103 that doesn't mean that the ball wasn't put in play but he hadn't given up a single hit on a ball over like 103 miles an hour and that might have changed you know post whenever that first thing i saw that was but that's a very interesting point when you're saying like he might've thrown 200 pitches total that were over 103 over the course of three years or whatever it was. And not one of them was put in play for a hit. And you wonder why people want velo, And that doesn't mean that he doesn't have good secondary and they don't have to be aware of his secondary. That just means like, bro, like nobody even got lucky once and just put one in play and got a hit early on. So I'm sort sure of, like I said, I'm sure that I'm sure that since then, somebody's hit got a hit off of 103 plus, but to that point, he was the first guy to really just kind of be there and sit there, you know, for the beginning part of his career. And like, you wonder why velocity matters. Like it shortens the window. It shortens the window. It makes the secondary look that much better because of how short the window it makes. So, I mean, velocity is not going to go away. It's only going to get more. And you're going to run into guys that are going to pitch at 97, the way that guys used to pitch at 90. And you're going to be like, oh, this guy's a control pitcher at 97. Like, this, guy's, this guy is the 97-mile-an-hour the Greg Maddox. He is the 97-mile-an-hour, you know, Kyle Hendricks. Like, he is just going to go out there and carve you up at 97. And the other guys are like, oh, well, this guy's just a wild throw in 103. And that's, it's, that's going to happen. I mean, it's starting to happen. Like, the aces out there right now, the aces out there, the guys that are getting paid right now are throwing 94 to 98, and they're pitching like they are control pitchers. And that's why they're getting paid the way they are because those dudes are just, you, you, good luck today. Yeah. Do you think 15 years ago though,
0: we would be having a conversation or an argument of when's the the first 110 mile an hour thrower. I mean, that just goes to show you that how crazy the game is right now. And for the baseball purists that are against, you know, the commissioner trying to look at new rules coming into baseball, I'll say, uh, remember the ebb and flow of the game. Number 1968, Danny McClain, Bob Gibson, just dominating hitters and what they do.
1: Drop the mound.
0: Lower the mound, yeah. There's always going to be an ebb and flow in the game. Good show today,
1: Travis, for
0: coming on. And I was like, I have no idea what we're going to talk about today. That was a a 50-minute segment of just straight conversation. That's why we do the show. It's probably
1: because producer Dan was off today. Producer Dan. It is, nah.
0: Appreciate it, buddy. Keeping the world safe. I got my shot, by the way. Got my first shot. A little sore. A little sore. Yeah?
1: yeah. Well, good. That, that, that'll keep you safe around the uh, players down there. Yeah. Take good, take good care of those Cubs down in AZ, bro. Do what I can. Do what I can. No All right. Will. Going to work.